0: Hey, it's Ed. Before we get started, I want to thank Neil Crescenti. Neil recently signed up to support the podcast via Patreon, and if you're interested in learning more about those options, you can go to mountainandpray.com slash support. But huge thanks to Neil. I really, really appreciate it. Second thing is the Bozeman event. It's coming up next month on August 30th, which is a Friday at the Historic Ellen Theater right downtown in Bozeman. It's going to be a really fun evening I encourage you to go and check out the info on it, com slash bozeman. But I've got four amazing women who are going to be joining me to answer my questions and your questions. Um, it's going to be Kate Havstad, Jillian Lukuski, Becca Skinner, and Juanita Vero. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Third thing, anybody who is in Tucson, Arizona or nearby should mark your calendars for September 21st of this year. I'm going to be down there with the Altar Valley Conservation Alliance at their annual fundraiser doing a little talk. So I'm super excited about that. It's obviously for a great cause. I'm really looking forward to getting to Arizona and seeing that valley and seeing some of the cool conservation work they're doing down there. So you can go to mountainpraycom slash Tucson to learn more about that event. Thanks for your patience. As I do these announcements at the beginning, I found that Even though I've got a decent social media following, a lot of those social media services end up giving you this great audience and then making you pay to reach them all. And I know that y'all listen to this and you guys are the ones I'm trying to reach, not some strangers with hashtags and that kind of silly stuff. So I feel like this is the best way to get the info out. Just trying to put info in front of you that I think you'll find is interesting. So appreciate your patience. This is a great podcast coming up. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in land conservation or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists athletes artists adventurers pretty much anyone who's doing important work has an interesting story and loves the american west my guest today is morgan irons morgan is a montana-based artist whose captivating oil paintings combine the classic style of late 19th century painters with her own modern day interpretation of the west's people and places when i was first introduced to morgan's art i assumed i was looking at the work of a classically trained artist who'd been in the trenches of paintings for decades. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Morgan's only been painting since 2015, with virtually no artistic training prior. Her innate talent is matched only by her work ethic and commitment to the craft. She's built her life around the process of making art, which is inspiring and instructive for anyone with creative aspirations. Morgan was born in Durango and spent her youth in various parts of the West, including Alaska and Idaho. After college in the flat Midwest, she immediately returned to more rugged landscapes, working in Alaska and eventually landing in Bozeman. She tried her hand at a, quote, normal job, but found the corporate world to be uninspiring and frustrating. So rather than wallow and complain, she moved on from that job and soon thereafter discovered her talent for painting. Since then, she's gone all in on her career as an artist, and her work and reputation in the art world is growing and evolving quickly. If you're a person who dreams of pursuing your creative passions full-time, then you'll love this episode. It's full of actionable ideas around art and the creative process. We talk about the remote cabin where Morgan lives and paints, and why she needs solitude and open spaces for maximum creative output. We talk about her daily routine and how she primes her artistic mindset through hiking, meditation, and writing. We also talk about how she blocks out distractions and her techniques for using the productive aspects of social media while avoiding the time-wasting traps. We obviously talk about the point when she discovered her talent for painting and how she's honed that talent through workshops and mentorships from top painters. Finally, Morgan tells some great stories about hunting for ghosts with her dad, her favorite books, a bear that broke into her car, and the importance of having no plan B. Hope you enjoy this episode. Maybe the best way to start is you yeah. had to come into town to get a reliable internet connection so we could do <laughs> yes. this. So, Could you talk a little bit about kind of where your home base is?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I live um, just outside of Bozeman up on kind of a high point in a mountain canyon out on um 10 acres that back right up into national forest so it's it's pretty remote and it's beautiful um yeah i've got supposedly i have neighbors down the road that i've never seen they're in their 90s and really private um so it's fine by me but
0: it's That's great. Awesome. So so why what attracted you to that? Because I just from reading around online a little bit, it sounds like you're you had maybe been in Bozeman and you moved away and then you yeah. you're you back. So what what is it about that remote setting, but either personally or professionally or create creatively sure. that that uh strikes a chord with you?
1: Um, you know, it's really of utmost importance priority in my life to live that way. Um and it's been you know, it was four years of that when I first moved to Bozeman, um, living out in another canyon outside of town, you know, on 50 acres, and um, and for me, it's, it's you know, it's, it's self-preservation. It's, yeah. it's having um, the ability to not be swayed by other people, um, have, you know, an entire day to not be bothered and just to work. And I really like being out in nature. There's something about having that connection and just that sense of presence that it requires of you to there. Yeah. There's just something innate and and I really don't like living around people. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I really genuinely enjoy being alone and, um, I think maybe my therapist would have a different answer for you.
0: But. <laughs> we wouldn't want me to do a three-way call and get her in.
1: Right. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, well, all right. So when I was looking at your bio, it made me feel like a, a very, very old man. Um, really? Yes, because several things. One, born in 1991. I think I was in, yeah. I was in middle Last school Last day then. of the year, yep. 91. And, yeah. and then the other thing is um, – you're there was, a, there was some discussion or, or talk about how you've, you've done a lot of your kind of teaching yourself how to paint and teaching yourself mm-hmm. art through the Internet. So, like, when I was a kid <laughs> or not even, you know, 20 years ago, if you moved out to a cabin out in the middle of the woods, you are completely alone. But now we have these silly phones and these computers right. that are pumping distraction in. So, like, how do you balance that between using it for, for good, like you do, to mm-hmm. learn – with keeping it out of your head and allowing yourself to have a clear mind for your work.
1: Oh, it's a constant struggle. Um, I have to be really careful about. You know, I, I struggle a lot with the Instagram thing and yep. trying to keep some distance from that and not being too, too invested in, in that whole game. Um, but you know, there are there's such value in seeing. I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing now if I didn't have that access to seeing. It's kind of where I discovered art. It's where I um, learned that people were still painting the way that I paint, and um, so it's such a valuable tool. Yeah, but at the same time, it's I, I can tell a difference if I'm spending too much time, you know, looking at. Other artists and what they're doing and the, the feedback they're getting and the praise or you know there is a sense of of oh maybe you know they're doing that I should try that or it's but you have to kind of put your head down yep. and stay focused on your work and um, so I I really limit my time on that sort of thing.
0: But and um, I'm asking this out of out of like pure self interest because <laughs> it, it's so damn hard to stay off of that thing. Um, oh, I know. So, how, I mean, how do you do it? I mean, is there so literally
1: have, what I do is I every day I delete it off of my phone. That's what I do. Really?
0: Yes, I delete it, yeah. and if I have to check it, I have to reinstall it.
1: Yeah, so it makes it a huge pain in the ass for yourself, but yes. it's but it's worth it. And I mean, otherwise, you lose hours. You won't even realize.
0: Well, yeah, you lose hours, just straight up hours from looking at it. And then it, I think it just puts this residue of, of distraction in your brain that takes a while to get that out and get your momentum going. And that's just for me, oh, like definitely doing spreadsheets about real estate deals. I couldn't imagine what it's like trying to, <laughs> you know, muster creativity out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. You're trying to reach the, you know, the ethers and you're stuck in Instagram and yeah, I think, and I think there's also, you know, performative aspect that Instagram kind of instills in people that is dangerous. It's like everyone thinks they have their own TV show now. And, you know, it's not it's not why I want to do the work and it's not in my nature. And so, I don't know, it's it's a tricky, tricky thing.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's a valuable tool. Um, totally. And I have and finally admitted that because a lot of this podcast and a lot of the great relationships I've formed came through learning about people's work through Instagram. That's how I learned about you. And that's how I learned about, you know, all the women that are going to be in the live podcast event. And and so there's obviously great value there. I mean, my life is better because of that. But at the same time, there's this dark side to it where it can take you down. a (laughs) Yeah, you you have to be in control of it. And so so let's let's back up for a minute. And All the way back to 91 when I was like a (laughs) a young man and you were just being born. (laughs) Uh, um, So where were you born?
1: I was born in Durango. Oh, really? Yeah. I love Durango. Um, yeah, you know, I haven't been back since. So I'm, I'm dying to get out there. But, um, yeah, my parents met in flight school. And so when I was born, we lived in a little trailer on a runway on top of a bluff out there. Um, and my, yeah, my dad was a flight instructor. And so we lived there. And, um, yeah, I... I did some time in Alaska then, and then grew up mostly in Idaho. So kind of, you know, the Wood River Valley area, um, trailer behind the, what used to be the Sinclair station off the main drag there. And then, um, in Boise the rest of the time.
0: And was art always a part of your life? Um, I mean, just, just, were you an artistic kid?
1: Um, I was definitely an artistic kid. You know, I was always the art kid in school and um, but the idea of ever pursuing art, or even knowing that that was a possibility, didn't enter my reality until I was twenty-three. And so what, I had never painted, or you know, even thought about that.
0: Really? Like you never yeah. you had never seriously <laughs> no. painted at all.
1: No, you know, yeah. I had you know art class in school, you know, watercolor week or whatever, but no, never anything that was. It was, yeah, I think Idaho is, Idaho is a really, you know, blue collar state and, um, yeah. And I didn't grow up, you know, with much access to, to fine art or I didn't know any working artists at all. Um, it was just totally a foreign concept.
0: And so you get out of high school, what did you do?
1: Yeah, I got out of high school and, um, I was pretty academically driven at that time. Um, I really wanted to be successful and kind of have a, you know, a ticket out. And I, so I did what I thought, you know, everyone told me to do which was just go to college. And, um, I ended up getting a degree in psychology. I went to St. Louis university, yep, uh, which I hated. Did and, you really? Oh
0: yeah. Why did you hate it? Did you hate <laughs> St. Louis or did you hate, <laughs> yeah. hate school or both?
1: Um, school was okay. I was, you know, I got by, I was pretty all right at it. Um, but it, it felt, you know, it felt like I was going through the motions more than being excited about anything. And, um, and St. Louis was, it was so much of a city and it's so flat. And I felt, um, just entirely like I was in the wrong place. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was my, my senior year of, of college. I, you know, I had this you know almost animalistic need to get the f out of there and yep. i uh and um when i was you know an infant my my parents took me um when i was like 2 months old up to alaska and my dad was a bush pilot out in the wrangles and um so i had kind of all of these fables from my childhood about alaska and so when i was a senior in college and I was trying to figure out what my next moves would be. I, you know, I was in the library and I just started Googling lodges in Alaska that might be hiring. And, um, and I applied to, uh, the one that my, my dad worked at, but he, he was, he was really young at the time. Um, they had me young. He was probably 23 years old, Uh um, as a bush pilot out there. And he, you know, is taking a client out is out in the wrangles, So super rugged and remote. And so we lived in a, you know, a little bare bones cabin and he was, uh, taking a, a client, flying them out of the lodge and, you know, made a young mistake and miscalculated his fuel and ended up having to, you know, put down the plane in the back country and, was essentially lost in the woods for a while. They called off the searches and um, told my mom, you know, with an infant that, you know, we're sorry. (laughs) Oh
0: my God.
1: Yeah, and he ended up, um, you know, they they had left the plane thinking they knew where they were. um, And of course that doesn't always work out that well. So they ended up, you know, getting found on Easter morning so it was kind of this long running joke that it was he was risen, you know, on Easter.
0: <laughs> oh man, that is um, crazy!
1: So, anyway, that lodge didn't hire me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is, wait, just to say, just for a side diversion, yeah, t- talk about tell me about your dad. What What is his story? Because when you said Bush Pilot, I instantly thought, all right, this guy. Is, oh, super, cool. is cool, interesting, and probably a little nuts because I've flown with some oh, of those yeah. guys and they're, they're, they're crazy nuts, in exactly. a good way.
1: Yeah. They're, they're crazy. And he's a commercial pilot now. So he's, you, you know, he's not a name lot the more airline. stable. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah.
1: They're, so he, yeah, he did that. And, um, and so after the plane went down, you know, my mom, she's, you know, a new young mom and she's like, you know, I really need a a second parent here. So we need to figure out if this is going to work or not. And, um, so then they ended up moving us to Idaho and he, it took him a while to get back into flying after that. I think it was kind of a, a defeat for, you know, for a young kid essentially. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but he eventually started, you know, he got back into it and flew cargo and now commercial and, um, yeah, I was able to make a, a more stable living of it with children.
0: <laughs> wow. That's cool. And so did, did Alaska work out at all? Did you end up going up there to a different place?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, so I ended up applying at this other lodge and, you know, and I had had, you know, minimal outdoor, I mean, I grew up, you know, we call it a hillbilly camp and, you know, you just park a chair and drink a beer by the river and, so that was kind of the extent of my outdoor experience growing up, um, in Idaho. And so I didn't have, you know, any major hiking or backpacking or anything like that. And so I, I applied for this position as they call it. So the lodge is mostly fishing. It's right on the Kenai river. And, um, but they also have a bear camp and what they call their safari side, which is, um, nothing to do with animals, but Biking, kayaking, hiking, rafting, and horseback riding, and um, and so I applied for that position and sent them just like a, you know a photo of me outside. Yeah. <laughs> and and they hired me on. So I graduated college and flew out there, um, and that was it. Was truly the catalyst for everything else in my life. Um,
0: what do you mean by that? Like like the cat- I,
1: yeah, I, it was, it was, you know, so I flew out there to this fish camp, yep. um, and I was, you know, 18 or no, 20, 21, 22 years old. And, um, suddenly in this really remote area with, you know, two other women, maybe in a sea of dudes and yep. fish and <laughs> Oh um, it was wild and I, yeah, so I ended up, you know, I ended, my job ended up being to be in charge of kind of coordinating this bear camp they had that was out in, uh, Chinina Bay, which is some of the, I, if not the most amazing bear viewing in the world. Yes. Just, Uh, I mean, the first day, you know, you fly out there, you know, in planes, you land on the beach and. Um, it's all you know protected bear viewing you know national park and so the lodge they were some of the they were homesteaded in so they're kind of grandfathered into this location so it was really lucky to get to be there um and the you know the first day I was there you stand in one spot you know within an hour you can count 30 brown bears wow it's wild and and so I think being being out there and being so remote, kind of for the first time in my adult semi adult life, was a game changer. I it was, yeah, a profoundly moving experience, and just felt um, like it
0: kind of made sense, like it like yeah, it fit it was, with everything.
1: It suddenly, <coughs> you know, I kind of went full circle. I saw kind of what my my parents saw in it when I was, you know, an infant, and. Um, And I, yeah, I think coming from the city and just, I felt so much more connected and at home and, and just more capable and more in my, in my body and more just aware of, aware of myself. And so it was really important at that age to kind of see that. And, um, so I spent, you know, a while up there and then when that was getting ready to end, I, um, I knew that. I didn't want to go back to Idaho. Uh-huh. I felt really overwhelmed. I kind of I felt like I went through this um, yeah, this big life changing thing and and you kind of you feel kind of lonely in that because it's hard to describe to people and it's just such a different way of living up there. Oh um, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, I haven't lived up there, but I've, I've had two pretty hardcore um, life changing experiences. Have you? Yeah. And it's, yeah. and I, I've, same thing. I mean, it, it, I wasn't there for as long as you were, but like when you come back, it's kind of like everybody's just doing the same thing they've right. done. And all of a sudden, you, and you've had this really transformative experience. And it's kind of a weird thing because you're like, well, I, I had this experience, but nothing else changed. And, right. and my and brain kind of explodes.
1: Was that a dream? A hundred percent. Yeah. It was, yeah, getting back and, you know, even driving in traffic and, um, you know, yeah, it was, it was really difficult to integrate back. And so I I was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta go somewhere. I gotta find, you know, what's, what's like the next best thing. And that was Montana. Um, you know, it kind of had that to me, that kind of grandiose feeling. And I had, you know some experiences from my childhood visiting um, the Paradise Valley area yep. and Yellowstone, of course. And so I was like, I'm, you know, I'm just gonna go find a cabin in Montana, and and, and I did. Um, so that was, yeah, I was. What year was, was that? That was twenty end of twenty fourteen.
0: End of twenty fourteen. Yeah. So you show up mm-hmm. in Montana. And
1: yeah. And
0: then I, when I looked at your website initially, like a long time ago. I saw that you, it said you started painting in 2015. I was like, yeah. oh, she's got a typo on her, on her. That's not a good place to have a typo on the bio page. <laughs> but, but that's true. So you that's didn't, true. you yeah. started, so what What led to that? Because, I'm yeah. not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke or anything, but when you see your work, it looks like, and I'm not an art connoisseur, I, I like art, but I'm not, I don't know all the terminology, but it looks like like European art from the late 1900s or like late 1800s yeah, that's exactly
1: the, the time period that I'm inspired by. So
0: I mean, but, yeah, but I don't true. understand. I don't understand how.
1: You- um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's been a wild ride. Um, I'll see if I can piece it together. There was so when I first moved to Bozeman, I, I took some time, you know, not to work and I had some money saved. And um, but that was, you know, obviously starting to run out after a few months. And I so I took a job at the hospital with my degree doing, um, as a psychometrist. So I was doing all of the, the testing for the neuropsychologists yep. at the hospital. So IQ tests, attention tests, um, things like that. And I, <laughs> so, you know, I'm in this windowless office and hardly making a living wage, especially for Bozeman standards and, um, so part of the part of my job was to score all these tests and it's a lot of you know adding up all these small numbers and and my I I hated the job and and my boss comes in one day and he's just you know this doughy arrogant guy and (laughs) he comes in all serious and he sits down and he's like so you know, have you have you had problems with addition before in your life? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, something is not right here. Like, this is clearly <laughs> not where my talents are. And I, at the same time, I had started to, you know, Bozeman has a great gallery scene. And um, so I had started to kind of see that and start, and I started to meet working artists. And it truly was like, you know, a door opened up on the side of my life. And someone was like, you know, a mistake has been made, we put you in the wrong life. And here's the one you're supposed to be in. Um, And it was clear as day that that's what I all along should have been thinking about and doing, um, was making art. And so I, that day, you know, that the, of the meeting at work and you know, I was crying in the bathroom, and I he was like, "I got to leave this," and so I—I I didn't even give notice. I think it was a Friday, and I sent an email, and never done that before, but I just had
0: to—had to, had to
1: reprioritize. Yeah, he was a real jerk, and uh,
0: maybe so, when yeah. I'm up there, I'll, I'll invite, <laughs> when I'm up there in August, I'll, I'll send him a, a personalized invite <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's just the kind of guy I'd like to hang out with. I know,
1: right? Um, So,
0: but like, I I, I get that. I mean, I I see, I hear exactly what you're saying, but because like in this podcast, I didn't really know that I cared all that much about art, but some of the best conversations I've had on here have been with artists and I feel like I fully understand, like not fully, but I understand. I'm very interested in the creative process. I'm interested in how they do what they do, but that's a lot. And, and I've. I feel like I have a connection with those people, but that's a lot different than if I just decided to go buy a paint set today at the art store, and then all of a sudden I could do it because I have. There's no way that's going to happen. So how? I mean, what was the point? Like, when did you? When was the yeah. exact point, and you're like, I've got a talent for this beyond just connecting with these people in this scene. Like, right. I can do it.
1: Um. Well, so it kind of happened. So I, you know, I quit my job before I started painting, and which I don't recommend people doing wasn't very responsible but so I you know I went out and I I bought paints and I um and I started to try and learn how to put paint on the canvas um and at the time you know Instagram was kind of starting to get popular and there were some resources I could find online um some books you know I got out the library and um and I think the biggest thing for me was I would spend two to three hours every single day, you know for those first two years um, seeking out and looking at gr- really good art, yeah, and just you know breaking it down um, and cataloging it as far as what art I really connected to and why and and I'd see you know patterns through all of these paintings and um so it was truly a, a deep dive in into so I you know I had a true north star because I knew exactly how I wanted to paint and why um and that first year I you know when you're faced with something that is so vast I I felt really overwhelmed so I you know I was like well I need to put a limit on myself I need to somehow create a parameter so that I can focus down instead of, you know, outwards in all directions. So I, I said, you know, I'll, I will only paint the land I live on and the people that I know uh-huh. for that whole, you know, first couple of years. And that, so that's what I did. Um, and I made, real, you know, a ton of shitty paintings and there, some of them are still in my closet. Some of them I've gotten rid of, <laughs> and, um, and I just started, and I tried really hard and it was, you know, I have a very obsessive personality about one thing, which is painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it takes having a really, it's like a, you're walking the line between having a really objective eye about, you know, holding your painting up next to this masterful painting. What's the difference you know, really like really break it down and be honest with yourself. But then you also have to have, in order to keep going and not just crumble, you have to have kind of a naive arrogance that your work is is (laughs) worth something. And in order to keep going,
0: um, so I walked that line, but. Do you enjoy the process of painting? Like, like when you're doing it, when you're in the middle of it, do you enjoy it or is it hard or
1: kind of very day to day? I think it varies every 10 minutes. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. It's, you know, I kind of run the whole gamut every single day of, you know, agony and ecstasy, really. It's, it's, you know, painting to me is such a mirror, um, and each painting is really important to me. So it's, um, when it's going good, there is no better feeling. And when it's going poorly, it's, you know, it's awful.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're, I mean, you're putting yourself out there. I think in any, yeah. in any creative pursuit, but that's, I mean, that's the deal. Is you're putting it out there, and once you're, once it's out there, it's out there, and it's exactly. Um, well, I, that, that's, I really admire that, and I, I'm still just amazed by the timing because you're saying, I mm-hmm. did a lot of really bad paintings, and if you hear some <laughs> grizzled old artist you're like that was 50 years ago, yours was <laughs> like three and a half years ago. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know. I, I know. mean, that's it's awesome. And well, and there's, and I think I, you know, I I see how much more I want to improve, and um, and I, you know, I have to kind of be, uh. To me, like the technical aspect of painting, and you know, obviously, I want to be the best painter I can be, but that's not the priority to me. The priority is making art that, um that is meaningful and that has, you know, shows the love and the, you know, I think, you know, the most beloved painters in history aren't, aren't the ones that are the most, you know, technically skilled, but yeah, they're the ones that people connect with most and they have the most soul and the most, most story. And there's some kind of intangible thing about, about their work. And so I try to, I try to rest easy in, in that space and the technical stuff will come as i as i get older and i and i learn more um
0: well that's a question i have is is you know i think artists that that you know stand out to me they're doing just from my untrained eye they're doing really unique things that are unlike mm -hmm. anybody else and that's Mm -hmm. what attracted me to to your work and that's what's attracted me to all the different artists i've had on here and but but so how do you balance that you know you you said you spend you have spent and still spend time looking at people you admire. So how do yeah. you, how do you keep your originality or, or continue to do your own thing without just ending up kind of copying these people? Cause I would think that yeah. one, it could seep into your head. It does. You just, and then you end up just kind of copying people. Yeah. You have it. I'm just saying like, if I were doing that, <laughs> I would. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. Well, and I think, um, I think especially when you're starting out, um, you know, all all artists copy in some sense or another, and I, and I, I try to think of it as, you know, humbly trying to add to the conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's if I'm in, really inspired by, by somebody's work, um, I think that, you know, I try to, I try to see what they're after, and, and usually like the core value of the painting is what inspires me, so that doesn't come across as as copying as clearly um but i've also realized that you know your hand kind of just does what your hand is has tendencies to do it's kind of like handwriting in a way Uh so it's you know as much as you you know even if you were trying to copy somebody it's when you're making a body of work that's you know as large as you know, it needs to be to make a living, um, your, your voice will come
0: out. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, have you ever read the book, the war of art?
1: Oh, that's a great one. Oh, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> but,
0: and I don't know if they, if this is in that book, but I've read and listened to everything I can about by Stephen Pressfield. And um, there was some yeah. point where he said when he was a struggling writer and just, you know, trying to find his voice, he would, he would literally copy Hemingway like he'd open a Hemingway yeah. book and start copying it and typing it out just to try to get in that flow and see what it felt like to write like that.
1: Yeah. And,
0: you know, he's not copying Ernest Hemingway, but, but I think just kind of trying to figure out how to get in the head of these greats and totally. channel some of that energy. And then, then you can find your own voice, I guess.
1: Yeah. And that was a really big tool for me when I was learning was doing these master copies. So you, yeah, you literally copy a paint, a painting, and you try to do it in the same manner in the same um, yeah, the same order of, of application and things. And, um, yeah. And you'll learn a ton that way. Oh yeah. It's so valuable. Yeah.
0: So you've obviously spent a ton of effort and focus, you know, teaching yourself, but it sounds mm-hmm. like from what I read that you've also had some, uh, formal instruction from, you know, both, you know well you know renowned artist as well as some it looks like you went to a a recent immersive workshop can you talk a little bit about that and what you learned from that
1: yeah it was um so being out here in Montana um you know obviously we have we have a ton of artists it's Montana has like the highest highest amount of artists per capita of any state um but there is a lot of uh no one out here is really teaching the kind of painting that I want to be doing. Um, so I, you know, I have to travel if I want instruction. And so I tried to do, you know, one workshop a year. So that was my first year I went and um, did a one-day workshop with this artist, Jeremy Lipking, who is, you know, a phenomenally um, incredible painter. And uh, he, so that was, a, you know, a portrait workshop, and then the next year, I did a three-day workshop with this other artist, Joshua Laroque, who is, you know, high, heavily classically trained. Um, so it was really rigorous, and so I kind of had those two experiences that kind of helped me get past. You know, as much as you study on your own, there are some things that are really hard to learn. Some of the more, more, almost scientific aspects of painting um that yeah that just take someone pointing them out to you and um so then um in January I had the opportunity to go um study for a month of drawing in New York City at Grand Central Atelier which is um so they have a very, um, methodical approach to drawing. And it's, you know, it's all from life and you're spending, you know, 80 plus hours on a single drawing of a person in wow. front of you. Um, super detailed and, um, yeah, just very different than why I'm, I'm used to working, but it was, it was really neat to see, you know, how they do things and kind of what their values are and, how they overlap and what are, what I, how I differ. Um, but being around other artists who are so nerdy and obsessive was really nice too. <laughs> I don't get much of that
0: here. Yeah. You read my mind. That was going to be my next question. I was going to ask how much, like if you had to break it down, how much you learn from the instructors and then how much you learn from the other students. Cause I've found oh, yeah. that in situations like that, Um, I mean, mine's like grad school stuff, but it, but you learn more or there's potential to learn more from your fellow students than the other grad, than the other professors. Is that right? Absolutely.
1: And, um, totally. And there was, you know, they have the full-time students there at the school. And so they are, they're all incredible and they are so knowledgeable. And so, yeah, as much as I could, I was, you know, picking their brains and they're all, you know, young and, and just killing it and um so yeah they're and they're still a huge resource you know we connect and i send them questions and (laughs) that's great so it's it's great yeah there's tapping into that community because i had a lot of you know being out here and being self-taught i think you know I, i had a lot of insecurity about not having the training that i sometimes thought i maybe needed or was missing out on or Maybe I wouldn't be, you know, taken seriously without. Um, but I'm really glad that I'm I'm out here figuring it out on my own.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you got a perfect balance because some of that stuff, mm-hmm. it just sounds like it's technical almost yeah. like instructional, um, like the scientific aspect of it, that it'd be a yeah. waste of time to try to figure it out on your own. It's not a creative thing. Yeah. It's a technical exactly. thing. So exactly. if you can knock that out, then you can spend more time on the creative stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. On the on the actual art making and, and so, those pursuits that I do on my
0: own. Yeah. What does your daily routine look like? I'm always interested in hearing <laughs> this from artists. because I, I am too. It's, you know, some of them that I've talked to, they kind of wait. Till they feel good about it and then they start doing it. Mm-hmm. And then the majority of them get to work. I mean, they just sit yeah. down and start grinding. Yeah. <laughs> so what, where do you fit on that? Spectrum?
1: I, so I have, um, my entire day is kind of built around kind of wrangling this crazy person, which is myself into <laughs> creating art. So I have these kind of built in things that I have to do to make sure that happens. And, um, and, you know, through trial and error. So I, yeah, I make sure, so I tend, and I also, you know, it's important to me to have a lifestyle that feels, feels good. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I don't believe in alarm clocks. That's just torturous. And so I, but I, you know, I wake up early anyway, I have, you know, beautiful light that comes in and, and a dog that Is excited for every single day so
0: oh yeah that helps
1: (laughs) it helps a lot and um yeah so I'm up early and I you know put the coffee on and and I also really like where I live because there's so many hiking trails just outside my front door and so we'll do you know a big hike in the morning every day and that also you know buys me some time from the dog just wearing him out and yeah, and just getting, kind of starting that day is re, my day that way is really nice because, it's yeah, it's just empty space for your mind. Um, and but are you
0: thinking about painting at that point, or are yeah. you trying not to think about painting?
1: Um, I'm pretty much thinking about painting all day long. Really. Mm-hmm.
0: And is that fun, or is it torturous, or is it like <laughs> the painting where it's it it changes minute to minute?
1: It's it can be. I really enjoy thinking about painting. Um, It's, that's really where most of the work happens is the time, you know, I call it dinking around and it's, it's the most important part of the process for me is having this time, you know, away from the easel when I'm, I'm processing things, I'm solving problems in my head. I'm, you know, referring to other paintings and, um, yeah, it's really where it's really where a lot of a lot of the work happens. So I think that I think that there's some kind of a you know idea that you have to be laboring all day long to be considered a productive um, person, and and I I certainly have done that for a long time, um, but I'm realizing that you know, as a creative person whose job it is to, you know, physically pull things out of nothing and create something that you, it doesn't just come, you know, it comes from above. You have to be open and ready to receive. And that sounds religious. I'm not at all, but
0: <laughs> no, that's what, that's <laughs> how it, Pressfield talks about, yeah, it. you know, be, yeah. be open to the muse and, and doing the work and, and, you know, preparing mm-hmm. yourself, um, to, to be ready to receive it when it shows up. I, exactly. I, I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And, and I, so I, you know, I did these long hikes and, um, and then by the time I get back, it's, you know, if I really am still feeling squirrely, I'll, I'll do some writing in the morning. Um, just kind of getting all of my, you know, whatever's on my mind out on paper really helps me. Um, you know, I tend to be kind of a, kind of a neurotic person is, well, I think, you know it's when you're working for yourself, yeah, everything's kind of on you to make, mm-hmm. to make or break your life. And so it's, I'm never really checked out. So I, and I have to do these things to make sure I'm mentally in the space that I need to be to be um, doing my best work. And so whether that's writing or meditating, um, that's been really helpful over the last year. I started doing that. Um,
0: what does that look like?
1: Um, to me, that looks like you know, sitting, I started with the Headspace app, you yep. know, a year ago, and I have stopped using that. Um, I think the prompts were kind of getting in the way and I, I don't think I meditate correctly at all.
0: But <laughs> no, you're, it's, it's like, uh, no, it's like art, you know, you just, yeah. you gotta do, you do, do it your way, but it's, I'm,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm seriously committed to that and it's made my life so much better. That's oh. why I'm curious.
1: You know, it's kind of a common thread between people I meet that are that are really living life and doing that are, yeah, we're not working against themselves.
0: It's a, uh, it is invaluable. And, mm-hmm. you, and I say this like kind of joking, but it's really true is that it's invaluable for me, obviously, but my wife gets a lot more benefit about from me <laughs> not being a lunatic than I do from not being a right. lunatic. <laughs> But, but, um, I know
1: we got to be good to those people that have to deal with us. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, man. I don't envy that. Um, I'll tell you, I'll give you a recommendation if you're looking for. Oh, yeah. I've generally thought that the apps that's like an oxymoron because I, the phone is the problem. And so I I don't want that near me when I'm (laughs) meditating. But Sam Harris, who's written a bunch of books that are really good, and he's got a good podcast. Yeah. Well, he's got an app called Waking Up, and it is, it is hands down the best meditation mindfulness instruction of anything I've I've ever and I've read there's no telling how many books about meditation (laughs) and everything from like Buddhist stuff to completely like atheist secular stuff and everything in between and that part that um app is the best and
1: oh I have to look that up
0: it's less about you know calming down it's not about Mm -hmm. that it's more like about examining consciousness and seeing Uh. just kind of how your brain works and I can't recommend it enough. And you oh, get that's some, awesome. Yeah. So I'll I'll have no I'll have a link to that in the web page for anybody who wants to look into it. But coming from somebody who's gone through gone down every single path you can with that, <laughs> that is the best. It's, it's like your technical art teachers. Save yourself yeah. some time. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> and go to the Please, go to the Sam Harris house. Um well one other question I had kind of about your, your life out there is that you mm-hmm. know, you're obviously you know, you're pretty on your own, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're self-sufficient, but it, it sounds like we we have a lot of mutual friends and so many yeah. people speak so highly of you just as a, as a um. person, as a fun person to hang out with. So <laughs> how do you, how do you balance that? Balance the, the yeah. solo time with the need for friendships and the kind of, I guess, the fuel that you get from having good friends?
1: Yeah, I know. I have some amazing friends. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's funny because it's been my work that has um, connected me with all of my my good friends. I, you know, I'm naturally, I think, a, a fairly shy person. I, you know, I'm never the loudest one at a party or, um, and, but I think the people that I've met through my work have, they're all, you know, young people who are like-minded in the in the way that they're all, you know, Pretty much self-driven and doing things that are, um, you know, whether it's building businesses or other artists, and um, so they kind of understand the the needs of that lifestyle. So we all are kind of on the same page as far as you know. Hey, there's you know an event tonight. Can you make it? Oh, I you know I got to work on this project. You know, no big deal. See you next time. And um, and for a long time, I didn't have a sense of community. I was, um, just really head down working and didn't see at the time the value in it. But now to me, it's like just, it's amazing the difference. And, um, and I, you know, I'll see usually I'm working, you know, all during the week and summer times here, you know, we have like two months of summer in Montana. Yeah. So it's, it's more busy than normal, so i'm I'm having more fun than I normally do um, and I'm trying to not resist that with every fiber of my being and work all the time <laughs> but it's but I know that it's good for me, so it's you know I will you know a couple of times a week usually spend time with friends and um, and yeah and 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 I think that there's. You know, I, and also, you know, all of our work kind of overlaps at times. So we get to do projects together, you know, like with um, the Common Ground Project. You yep. know, that's how I, you know, I got connected with Daniel Anderson and Melissa Danino, And um, so it's really cool when all of our work can kind of come together and build something. And that's that's new for me. And that's something I really want to keep keep exploring.
0: That's great. Uh, yeah, that stuff's important. I think it's easy to, if you're ambitious and focused, it's easy to think that is a waste of time, or mm-hmm. that it's not important now. Yeah, but I think yeah. it, I think it just makes life richer. And I'm, I'm the it same does. way as you. Even though yeah. I have this podcast, I talk to people. I'm <laughs> I'm generally very introverted and yeah. uh, not a loud la- not a loud mouth. Not that loud mouths are bad, but I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I know I God
1: love them, but yeah, there's it's, not it's just not in my nature. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Um, um, So you're, you know, obviously the West has been an important part of your life, the landscapes and it's, it fuels your work. And, Mm -hmm. but when you look at your work, it's not at all like what somebody would think of when they think of a Western artist. No, Um, I'm
1: not painting cowboys or. Yeah. So, so how does
0: the, so how does the landscape out there and, and just the, I guess the energy of the West fuel your work? I mean, how does that, how does it, the the final product comes out and it's obviously been fueled by that, but it's not Mm -hmm. the stereotypical Western art. So how does that work?
1: Right. You know, I think, I think I'm really, the biggest thing to me is in my work is storytelling. And I think that, you know, the West as an idea is so ripe with, um, you know, all of the archetypes you can imagine, you know, in history, it's, it's so important for us to hold on to those stories, and um, and I think when I th- when I am composing a painting, um, I, you know, I'm really drawn to kind of these flat horizons with these figures um, in the landscape, kind of composed in a way that tells a story, and um, so I think that there are. There are things about the West that are um, pretty universal. So there's, you know, the seeking of the freedom aspect, and there's kind of the the connection to the land that I think people are missing now in yep. you know greater society. So when I'm putting these figures in the landscape, I think of it as theater almost. It's it's you know it's it's a really um, beautiful and kind of an obvious tool to tell these stories. So you have um, and when I started painting these these figures in the landscape, I I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm you know I'm painting someone from this time period. Um, I just from a design perspective, I really wanted you know plain clothing and you know, out in this horizon. And it turns out that's, you know, 19th century agrarian middle America pretty much. And, um, so I've kind of ran with that, but yeah, it's just, you can kind of get, so when you're putting, you know, a man in a landscape out West, that itself holds, it holds a lot of meaning to people. Uh Um, they kind of attach their own stories, to the scene um and you know one of my mentors who he's more way more of a western genre painter um, his name is michael untied he's down in colorado he's amazing and um a lot of his you were talking about this idea of western art and a lot of his collectors are you know high-powered ceos and so they want you know a painting in their in their conference room. That's, you know, some guy wrangling a bunch of cows and making deals. And, you know, it's, (laughs) it kind of, it pulls out these, yeah, these kind of these essential feelings that people have and have been drawn to for obviously a long time.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, was it Michael as a, as a mentor and who are there other mentors, Jeremy and, and Joshua, but I mean, and they could be, they could be alive or dead people you've met or just admired their work online. I mean, who do you, who do you admire yeah. as an artist?
1: Um, so I think, you know, I have a couple, but so yeah, Michael, he was pretty huge when I was first starting to paint, just helping with my, the direction of where my paintings would go. Um, and the artist that I, really admire um that I look at most that I I think have influenced me the most are yeah definitely you know late 19th century painters um there's one Jules Breton who is my current favorite and he I think that they seeing how valued their paintings are even in society now you know looking at auction records and things and um and why has been really inspiring um there's a painting that he he did Jules Breton it's called Song of the Lark and it hangs in in Chicago I believe and um and it's this beautiful painting of this this woman standing in this field and she kind of has this slightly hopeful but downtrodden look on her face and she's clearly working really hard and Um, it's a beautiful painting and I heard the story recently about um, Bill Murray actually saw, he was apparently suicidally depressed and he saw this painting in the the Chicago Art Institute I believe is where it's hanging Uh Um, and that painting helped him decide to keep living wow Yeah, and just seeing I guess the power on a personal level of the impact of of art and
0: that's intense. Just,
1: yeah, it's a beautiful painting. I'll have to look it up. But
0: what's the name um, of the painting again? I'm sorry. It's
1: called "Song of the Lark."
0: Okay, I'll find a I'll find a link yeah. to it so people yeah. can click through. I'm interested to look at that, but yeah. I won't start playing on Google as we're having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that's um that's super. Are there any are there any artists? Maybe not painters, but just either musicians or actors, or actresses, and people that that you admire just as a, as you know, one artist admiring another.
1: Yeah. I am inspired by a lot of different types of artists, but you know, one recently that I've been really inspired by, um, Florence Welch of Florence and the machine. Mm -hmm. She is just, you know, a tornado of creative abandon pretty much. She just, and I think that she has so much, um, innate creativity that, And so much um, kind of powerful femininity, and she's just a powerhouse in just who she is. And the work comes out of that, it seems. So I think that, you know, people are really drawn to her, and she is just this magical being. And I'm really inspired by how to, yeah, how to cultivate that kind of in yourself ability to create that the rest
0: will stem from. It'd be interesting to see her, you know, two years into her career when she was just kind of starting to accept, oh, like, all right, I'm, I think I can do this. I think I can do right. that. And then the, then when she finally accepted it and was like, all right, I'm an artist. I, I don't know, but I would guess that it just exploded because she gave herself oh, permission yeah. to just that. That's, I love the Avett brothers, that band. Yeah. And they're they're North Carolina guys. And, and, um, but like Scott, he, if you look on his, follow him on Instagram, he's obviously this world class musician, songwriter. Does it, mm-hmm. but but he's also an unbelievable painter. Oh and, really? Yeah, and I think it's just one of these things where he's given himself permission. Like I can, I can try this. I can go all in on this, and I've got it. And you see that a lot with with these super creative people that it's not just their main form. There are other things that come out like Mark yeah. Missouri that I've, that I had on the podcast. I mean, he yeah. was a, he was a rock star. I know. Like a legit, <laughs> like massive rock star. And then he just took a hard turn and, you know, turned on the creative faucet from the other side. And it's, oh. I love, yeah, I love some seeing Some people
1: have that. it. Mm-hmm.
0: When you, all right, this is, this is kind of a weird question, but when <laughs> you, your degree in psychology and your study of psychology, yeah. how, has that helped you at all to kind of understand um, the creative mindset? I think it mindset? has. Yeah. I think I think, think so. that
1: there's, um, something that I studied a lot in, in school was, um, how the brain visually takes in information. So when I'm creating a painting, I really am thinking about the design aspect of a painting. So what, you know, the major lights and darks, how your eye, um, makes sense of those. So like, if you're looking, so there's areas of, it's like if you're walking out in the woods and you, your eyes are drawn to areas of high contrast Uh and movement and things like, it's just how our eyes are, are made. And, um, and even like color, color has psychological meanings. And, um, so there's a lot that I, that I kind of um, do on purpose in my paintings, thinking about those those aspects of how somebody will look at a painting and how it will translate in their brain.
0: That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. I'm glad I asked that. I was thinking that might be kind of weird to ask, so I'm glad. I... <laughs>
1: no, I'm glad you asked because it's yeah, it was a very expensive thing. That I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's <laughs> I like I say about business place. school sometimes. <laughs> like I could have gotten that for like 500 bucks on Amazon, I know. but God. all right. Um, <laughs> All right, so we have we're coming up on an hour, which is crazy, and I, wow. I I'm not joking. I have I looked at my notes once, like we just, and then I looked at the clock, and I'm like, this oh, okay. Um, well, I've got quick questions that I like to sure. ask everybody. Can we run through those real quick, and Absolutely. then I'll let you get back to it? Um, what? Well, so I always ask people. I ask you this first: What's your favorite books related mm. to the American West?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I I have a couple. Um, one of my favorite Montana authors, his name is Russell Rowland. Are you familiar with him at all? No. And he's, I don't think
0: anybody's ever mentioned him that I remember. Oh,
1: he's great. So he has written five or six books now. Um, and he's, you know, generational Montanan. Um, his first book, I think it's called in open spaces. Uh-huh. Um, it tells the story of his, his family, the ranch lineage and kind of the interpersonal dynamics of, of all of them. And it, he's like he's a good friend and so funny and his writing is amazing um he's kind of the essential he's had another book called 56 counties where he he traveled all around montana and writes stories from each county and which is now an npr radio show um, oh wow as of july so he he's a fantastic storyteller um really really good books cool so i highly recommend those um I, I just started reading, um, so I, I have you know this fascination with these Alaskan women who who make it work. And um, this woman, Kristen Pace, have you heard of her? It just came out. It's called Too Much Country. I don't think she I have heard of oh, she's such a badass. She's like one of the only women to finish Iditarod and the Yukon Quest. Damn. Um, yeah, she lives in this little you know, no running water cabin with her husband and, um, toddler and they've got another baby on the way and she's so cool. Yeah. And her book is so far, it's amazing. Cool. Um, I'll yeah. Put links so to those Those two are what I would recommend. Yeah.
0: Are there any books on creativity that you've, that you like? We, we mentioned mm-hmm. more of art. Are there any others?
1: Yeah. Um, there's one called daily rituals that I love. Um, it's about, the It's a guy that just collected the daily rituals of artists and creative people. Yep. yep. yeah, it's so cool. I love reading about how people manage this weird life and um, and that's really helped me feel um, less insane, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's worth it. <laughs> yeah, cool that
1: one. yeah,
0: that's a good one. And then do you, what's your favorite book of all time if you can name it?
1: Oh, my favorite book of all time. That's hard. I know probably my favorite book of all time. I would say the unbearable lightness of being
0: that one's it's never, never been one. mentioned either. I think you really you've mentioned three of the four books you mentioned have never been mentioned before. Oh, which is
1: awesome. So hipster. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so any favorite films or documentaries?
1: Um, you know, I've had satellite internet for the last five years, so watching things is almost never happening in my house. And
0: that's also um, when your art- artistic career blossoms. So there's probably right, a correlation There's a direct.
1: There. <laughs> yes, I highly recommend that for anybody trying to do something.
0: <laughs> no, that's well, that uh, that's a great answer. That's like that's like more. That's a better answer than if you had a film. Like oh, I don't good. watch films. No, that's great. <laughs> Although like if you them. watch Roadhouse, you should watch Roadhouse. You ever seen that?
1: Oh yeah. I think my mom showed me some scene from that movie once.
0: <laughs> I can guarantee everything in your life will, will improve by a factor of a hundred. Yeah. Also... Um, and so you hike, you make art, you live in Montana, you got a cool dog. Is there anything, mm. any activity you do that would be considered weird? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you do have yes. any hobbies that are very odd?
1: <laughs> yeah, I... So my parents, um, they split when I was young and my, so weekends with my dad, he somehow got on this, I don't know where, I think he saw it on Oprah or something. Um, you know, 15 years ago, paranormal photography.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. I meant to ask you about this. That's why I (laughs) I didn't look at my damn notes and that's, this is a, I'm so glad you brought this up. Okay. Yeah. Let it rip. Go.
1: So (laughs) So he started, we started getting into this and it was a really fun way for us to spend time together. But so, you know, weekends with my dad were spent in graveyards and in haunted houses.
0: Looking for um, ghosts.
1: Looking for ghosts. Yeah. And we you know, had all the equipment and, um, <laughs> looking back, I mean, it's so funny. I didn't but, get your
0: dad on the podcast.
1: Yeah, you um. <laughs> should. <He's good.
0: laughs> Wait, so did you ever see one? Oh, yeah. Really? And, Like you really, so you really saw a ghost. Yeah. So (laughs) was it scary? I'm going
1: to sound like a lunatic, but no, 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 no. no. I love this stuff. So it's, you know, there are ways that you can, and I don't know how scientific this is, but you know, they say that, so my, my dad's, um, so my grandfather on that side, they, they have a, a ranch out in Joseph, Oregon. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And there was one of the houses on the property is, um, it used to be um, that way back before, you know, it was in our ownership was used as a, a school for troubled youth, native American boys, which is so problematic in so many ways. But so there's, you know, a lot of this, um, this kind of, yeah dark history to this house, and it's been dilapidated for many years and so it was kind of our you know every summer we'd be out there and it was like the mecca of ghost hunting was this house and so we'd be out there with you know video cameras and e v p monitors and um and so one time we were out there as a kid and um and so we're filming this you know us going into this house and and um, you know, it was definitely a creepy night and lots of, you know, sounds and movement and things. And then we get back to the camp and we're watching the video of us walking up to this house and clear as day, there is this loud yelling voice on the video that says, stay away. What? <laughs> Loudly. Yeah.
0: But you didn't and, hear it when you, when no. you actually were, the, was it, were there.
1: No. Yeah. So it was just when you watched the video and I you know it's obviously not my dad. And, um, and I, you know, I was 12 years old, so this was like the craziest thing in the world. And I'm 41 <laughs>
0: years old. and That's the craziest thing. I know. <laughs> Good God. Yeah.
1: Did so, that, uh, so,
0: did it scare you?
1: Yeah. I'm scared oh, yeah. right now. I know. And so it was so fun, you know, <laughs> as a kid doing that. And, and now my dad is He's now in a major Bigfoot connoisseur. So now he's
0: any progress there.
1: You Uh, know, (laughs) he goes to all the conferences, and he like, there's a TV show about Bigfoot. Apparently, some, and he like goes and hangs out with all those guys. And I really want to go out on a big Bigfoot expedition. So I'll um, let you know how that goes.
0: (laughs) Hell yeah, that's I love I love hearing stuff like that. That's that's super cool. Yeah, if he if he sees Bigfoot. Yeah. Uh, open invite on the podcast. I know.
1: You'll, you'll, have to come, you'll have to come out on a Bigfoot expedition. <laughs> I'd, love all to these do that. <laughs> I'd love to. All yeah. these
0: guys are. I'd love it. There's some podcast that just came out. I haven't listened to it, but I've seen it advertised. Uh, one of these NPR reporters goes on, like, looking for Bigfoot on the circuit. Oh, really? all, yeah. And I think it's pretty. <laughs> I've heard good things about it. So, all right. Yeah, there's that. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Sweet. Um, well, I, you may have already answered this by seeing a ghost, but is what's the most. <laughs> powerful experience you've ever had outdoors and it could be scary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it could be funny (laughs) which maybe all that could describe all all the parts of seeing the ghost (laughs) what do you is there one that comes to mind other than that
1: yeah i think so i when i first moved to montana um oh man so there you know i was living out at the base in the foothills of the, the bridger mountains and and i was yeah, just trying to figure out how to exist in this environment and, you know, I didn't have phone service or anything. And, um, and so I had a lot of really funny wildlife encounters out there and, um, I ended up having this bear, you know, black bear, um, who clearly had, you know, he was skilled in finding people's trash and things. And, um, unfortunately, but, he, so he was around a lot and his, I ended up naming him Jeff cause he was just a regular <laughs> staple in the, <laughs> and so I, I lived in this little cabin and it actually had a garage attached to it. So it kind of became this saga of dealing with Jeff and I had, <laughs> so I didn't know that they could lift up, you know, the garage door, you had to lift it up. It wasn't an automatic one and it was a heavy door. Um, you know, with a handle and so I'd be in the house and I'd hear something lifting up this garage door. So I'd you know, I'd have to run out there and scare him out of the garage and then you know after that happened, you know, one or two times, I you know, I got a little smarter and I ended up zip tying the the garage door shut yeah. So that he wouldn't have any access to the food, hopefully. And um, so then but then it was almost scarier because my bedroom was, um, it was a weird place, but it was, my bedroom had a door that went right into the garage. So it'd be, I'd be laying there at night and you could hear this bear trying to pull this door open and the whole house is shaking. Just like massive strength. And I'd be laying there in bed just like praying that he, he wasn't going <laughs> to Oh my God. get, yeah, it was crazy. And then one day I, uh, you know, I, parked my car and i had one of the back doors rolled down for my dog and i stupidly forgot and i the next morning i go outside and my dog who i also named bear uh, (laughs) is he's acting really strange around the car he like won't go near it and i'm looking and i kind of start to and it dawns on me that jeff got into my car (laughs) and so he there were footprints all over the windshield on top of the car and then these claw marks you know I had leather seats and he got in there and just punctured every all over the car and luckily it didn't do as much damage as you think a bear would do in your car yeah but so I you know I drove it fine and (laughs) but it was just you know a couple year long saga of dealing with this bear and learned how to coexist and
0: those things are yeah. powerful. <laughs> when I lived in Boulder, they'd come in my yard, and one one time, one of them ripped down the gate on my fence, like oh, just God. ripped it right yeah. off the hinges. They're
1: amazing.
0: Yeah, I oh, just gosh, like, it was yeah. probably a little tiny black bear, so that makes yeah. you think, what could a grizzly do?
1: Oh, I know, I know.
0: Um, so, <laughs> last kind of big question, and it's <laughs> kind of a hard one, but if you could make a request of the people that listen to this podcast, or offer some words of yeah. wisdom, because you've got such a unique perspective on you know, following your passion, you know, Mm -hmm. even, even later in life, you know, like, I mean, you you were after, you know, post-college and you figured it out. So do you have any, any words of wisdom for everybody that listens?
1: Um, yeah, I, you know, I think that I, the biggest thing for me when I was considering jumping off and, and following this, this idea was that you know, I, I kind of purposely didn't give myself a safety net. Yep. Um, and I think that there's something about the West that kind of drives people to be um, kind of brave and um, stupid sometimes. <laughs> 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 but <laughs> but I I think that there's something to not having a plan B. Uh huh. And you know, I putting all your eggs in one basket. You know, really you build a better basket. Yeah. And, um, and I think that that translates to a lot of things in life. Um, and I, and I think as far as, you know, a plea to people, um, thinking about our, our wild spaces and this is going to sound really hippy dippy, but, um, I, yeah, you know, I have hummingbird feeders and in my yard and I was watching them one day and watching this little bird at this feeder, and um, and somebody shot off a gun far away. You know, far enough away that it wouldn't have really startled me. But it suddenly, this bird just stopped feeding and kind of jumped and kind of frantically flew around. And then, so I think I was just thinking about how watching that small, really small direct impact of humans on something that they wouldn't even think about. Yep when they're, you know, behaving or, you know, doing something. So I think just, just be, be aware and be quiet.
0: (laughs) No, I think that's great advice. I think that's, I think that's very, very wise. And I think things would be a lot better if everybody followed that. Um, Well, how do, how can people learn more about your work, follow you online? Not, don't distract her though. People don't send a bunch of silly messages. Yeah. (laughs) Where, so where where are you on the internet?
1: So I'm most active, I think, on Instagram. So it's just Morgan Irons. Um, I do have a website, morganirons.com. Um, my work is here in Bozeman at Old Main Gallery. Um, I'll have my next solo show in May there, May of 2020. So, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you for your time. This was super interesting. I
1: Thanks, Ed. This has been awesome.
0: Hey, it's Ed again. Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to have some recommendations and suggestions of interesting people I should meet. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.